extremely cautious with the never-done-it young or mid-career quarterbacks in Dynasty Fantasy Football. Welcome to the Football Guys Dynasty Show. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. And you have to be really careful in Dynasty, especially in Superflex, which is becoming the more common format out there as opposed to one quarterback. With these quarterbacks that have a high valuation or the they-will-do-it-this-year prognostication as one of your cornerstone quarterbacks. Um, the problem is you have to pay a lot. The problem is the guys who have done it, the guys have been there two, three, four times in their career, they might not be the sexy guy. They may be 28, 30, 32 years old, still not old for quarterbacks, and yet a lot of times dynasty owners are going to look for those shiny objects, those 22, 23, 24-year-olds that have still never reached the hallowed ground of a top six finish, Jordan. And that is a big indicator for future performance and the repeatability factor where if you've never done it, it's hard to get there. But once you get there one to two times, it's a lot easier to sustain that. Yeah, that top that top six threshold is a huge deal. And if you're not in that, you got to be very cautious about about projecting a big time uh, price or a big time future for a player that is not there yet. That's not to say they can't get there, but when you're looking at these guys who have hit once, right, there's a, there's a big miss, there's a big miss factor, right? There's a lot of one hit wonders in terms of, you know, you're looking 40, 45% of them will only do, will only hit once uh, for, of the guys that hit. And so that, that risk there is, is pretty big in terms of guys that, uh, that are are sort of have hit once but haven't gone uh, to that top six or haven't hit twice yet. And the other thing too is projecting the the step right the the and I just think like last year's Baker Mayfield right quarterback three quarterback two in some some drafts that we saw uh, quarterback four I think he settled in pretty commonly. Just look at what the cost is now. I mean in in terms of the real drafts that I'm tracking, he's forty one point three and he's QB ten. Right. That's a huge, that's a huge value loss in terms of betting on a guy that had not done it yet. And I, we have to learn that lesson. So I think a great person to think about in this context is Kyler Murray. And you and I both like Kyler Murray. We can like Kyler Murray as a player, but the cost is a totally different conversation on that and, and whether or not we're willing to pay that, uh, in a 2020 startup draft. Yeah, it reminds me of Baker Mayfield last year of what can go wrong, and the you know it's it's kind of like that uh, you know cartoon dog with everything burning around him, right? We've seen this before. We're like, I bought him at QB two, and he's just smiling, you know. And that's that's Kyler Murray, that's Baker Mayfield reincarnated from last year, where you say, love the weapons, love the system, love the player, and it's still shooting the needle. I mean, it's shooting a needle through this needle size hole that is so hard to do. Because I will say Kyler Murray has the rushing and he's a great example, but we've been down this road before, you know, of saying you to, to be quarterback one, quarterback two, quarterback three. That's like the only way you're kind of sitting there uh, six months, nine months, 12 months from now and saying, I feel great about what I just did. Otherwise, you say I rubbed it on my face and I don't know what happened. And you're waking up the, the you know, the next offseason saying I just flushed a ton of whatever what I paid at that price point, and this is different than, you know, drafting Kyler Murray 101 a year ago. And I just look back, you know, the lessons, the hard lessons I learned about this of betting on a quarterback to do it without doing it too soon. And there's always veteran alternatives is that, that, that gauntlet of, 
and, and you could say Jameis Winston of this group is actually the success, right? You know, he's actually done it a couple times in terms of a top 12 season. He's put up a top five season. And yet, who are the bad examples? Blake Bortles, right? You know, <laughs> oh, he's going to be this quarterback forever. Turns out he can't throw. Turns out the NFL doesn't even want him starting. Then you get uh, Derek Carr, who's kind of leveled off, right, in that Joe Flacco or Ryan Tannehill, just this perennial quarterback, too, and Marcus Mariota. He's looking for a job. He's behind another guy, you know, the other guy that was also drafted highly a few years ago of these 23, 24-year-olds of they will do it. They're going to be the next great ones. No, the great ones keep doing it, and they make it very tough. I would say, I don't know about you, Jordan, I think quarterback is the position where you say these incumbents, the Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, if you want to even put him there. Now you got Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson. When you actually crack in there, man, it is tough to break in there. I was actually looking. There have been, I think I wrote this down, 33 different quarterbacks to have a top six season over the past 20, 25 years. And two thirds of them have had multiple top six seasons. So what does that mean? It means every year there's only one to two new ones. It's the same guys typically it populating that group. So when you go, Oh, so and so has top six upside this year. Uh, you better be very selective with what you're saying and you better put reasonable probability because there's a number of guys outside of that core group. I mentioned, you know, Russell Wilson's another one, a core group that says it's going to be hard for you to take my spot. And that's the real thing. You start stacking it up and we don't get, it's not flat to where the top five, six, seven quarterbacks are all like in a cluster. That doesn't happen. One, two guys or three guys separate from the field and then they're the ones that are the impact difference makers. Everyone else is closer to QB 10 or 12 than close to that top group. Yeah. And this year I, I was looking at this in the off, you know, earlier on in the off season, just the, the age of the, the top 12 quarterbacks this year was like amongst the youngest ever. Right. So sort of what you were saying along the lines of once you, it's tough to crack it. Right. And once the guys get there, now we've got a whole new generation of young guys, right? So if you're thinking about Kyler Murray, for example, and we're not picking on Kyler Murray, we're more picking on the cost of Kyler Murray at this point. But there are plenty of other options at quarterback that have done it and that have plenty of longevity that you can actually project with more certainty is a tough word, but with more confidence than you can Kyler Murray. And it's not like you're choosing, hey, I have to pick him or mid-30s Aaron Rodgers, or I have to pick him or mid-30s Matt Ryan, right? There are still plenty of options. To take Kyler Murray, you're passing on Deshaun. You're probably passing on Deshaun Watson. You're probably passing on Dak Prescott. Heck, you're probably, you're almost definitely passing on Russell Wilson. You still have all these guys that have what you would project to have plenty of longevity, and you know a lot more about those other players those other players, those other profiles to have a lot more confidence. And I think the, the one strategic point that's really important for quarterback in super flex dynasty leagues is you don't take a lot of risk there. And, you know, there, there will be people that would sort of say, Hey, listen, Lamar Jackson was a risk, but he paid off. That's true. But we can go down a list of, of players that were a lot bigger, you know, that, that were similarly risked that went way down the tank. Um, and, and, you know, we talked last week about some of the concerns that I have with Lamar Jackson going forward. And that's not to say I don't think he's going to be good. It's just, I think that last year was probably an abnormality that, we, that he just can't repeat from an efficiency perspective, uh, and, and sort of where that leaves him. But I think projecting, you, know, you don't need to, to get a young quarterback, 
in their prime going forward in a good offense, you don't need to take Kyler Murray. You can do it a bunch of different ways. Uh, and I think that's a big thing right now. Don't take that risk early in a startup draft. Yeah, and that's the the big thing, and we're kind of blending these together into into a cohesive strategy, you know. So we're we're talking about how there's a lot of risk with the young never done it, and we're also talking about how there's value with the veterans who have, because those are typically the ones. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going at uh, outside of the first couple of years when he didn't play. I mean, a career low valuation, as if you know this is his last year. It's going to be a horrible year, and then he's going to basically ride off into the sunset. Um, and so he's going late, you know, Kirk Cousins, a lot, Matthew Stafford, a lot of these guys, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is going crazy late. The point is these guys have been there, done that for a decade. They've seen everything the NFL has to, has to offer them on defense. And yet they're still here. They're still putting up yardage, still distributing fantasy points. And we don't even know if two, three years from now, all these young guns are going to be starters. I mean, I, I know that's sort of a pessimistic view, but the floor of this outcome is you aren't an NFL starter. And if you don't believe me, look around. I mean, again, rewind two, three, four years, and we've got Blake Bortles, not a starter right now. Uh, Marcus Mirota, even we, I think both of us in this room would be like, oh yeah, Jameis Winston, 2020 starter. He's not. That's the whole point. Last year, Ryan Tannehill had a string of mid QB2 type performances, and yet he had to work his way into a backup role and elevate and then perform at an a crazy high level. And now here he is with a new contract, fresh opportunity. Um, some guys that I wrote down that they're, they're, they're current quarterbacks that I think a lot of people think that they're on this trajectory. Don't even, one thing that really bothers me is the, they will keep improving mantra. And that works with wide receivers as well. Oh, they're going to keep progressing. Oh, year one, they show flashes. Year two, they turn into a wide receiver two or three. And you can transpose that to a quarterback, you know, sort of being in the top 18, let's say. And then, oh, well, that means year three, the formal breakout. It sounds so formulaic, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't work that way. If only life was that easy. Life doesn't work that way. The chaos (laughs) of an NFL pocket for a quarterback does not work that way. The bounce of the oblong ball, the tipped passes that turn into... 30 picks don't work this way. <laughs> so you just can't predict this stuff. So the always improving thing, uh, that, that drum beating outlook for quarterbacks for fantasy just, just drives me up the wall. And some guys I wrote down that people are assuming that, that whatever they did last year, it will be a direct trajectory upward. I wrote down Kyler Murray. He's an easy one. Josh Allen's another one. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield, again, on the, on the rebound, he may just flatline into, he's a QB two. That's what he is for three, four, five years. Eventually the Browns tire of that and they move on. That is an absolute realistic outcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Jones, who, you know, a lot of people projecting greatness from him after year one. Sam Darnold, I think is a lesser cost one, but a lot of people still believe he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He hasn't shown that in almost any regard so far. So you need to really have pause about that. Um, I mean, he's been QB 25 and 27 in two years. Uh, that, if it occurs one more time, is grounds for replacement, is it not? I mean, we'll be talking in January about should the Jets draft a quarterback. That's going to be, a oh, they have the number five pick. They could get the third quarterback off the board. And then another one I wrote down, lesser variety, but I feel it picking up with what they did in the draft is Drew Locke. So those are, the, to me, that is the buyer beware or be very careful and even explore as a seller to see what you can extract and how you can pivot to one of those other more proven guys. 
Yeah, you know, when the when the offseason first started, I was tracking some of the actual draft position in terms of or the average draft position. I've been tracking more and more of it now. I noticed at the beginning it was basically Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold were essentially together, right, that they were essentially neck and neck. And that, that gap has opened up so that Daniel Jones is much, is much further ahead of Sam Darnold. Darnold, you're looking more in, in terms of the later teens where he's going. Whereas with Daniel Jones, he's going, uh, uh, quarterback 12 or so. Uh, whereas as Sam Darnold, you're looking quarterback 16, 17, 18. So that, that gap has spread. And I think that's right. And for a lot of the reasons that you said, if, if, you look at quarterbacks historically, guys that are going into year th- that are that are in year three that haven't hit for a top twenty four haven't hit for a top twelve season yet. So they're basically in the what I would consider the miss category. After year uh, entering year three, they have a forty seven percent chance to do it again or to do it to to crack into a top twelve. After year three, if they miss, it's eleven percent. Right. So talk about standing on a cliff. Right. With with uh, Sam Darnold and with uh, Baker Mayfield this year, right? That's that's sort of where you're at, and uh, that's a dangerous thing. Whereas you look at Daniel Jones, he's a little bit more insulated in terms of he's a year younger, so that number is that that cliff it only drops from about the mid fifties to again forty seven percent. So it's not a huge downgrade in terms of in terms of odds going forward if he misses this year. And he's got a st- much more stable situation, right? Has a new coach, uh, has some a little bit more what I would consider a professional um, coaching staff around him than Adam Gase uh, has shown to employ so far in his NFL career as a coach, uh, as a head coach at least. Uh, and so you just look at the two of those, and I thought that was an interesting sort of breakdown. I'm with you on Drew Locke. This uh, – to me, it seems like this offense, I think we talked about this in a prior show too. This offense is set up so that way it's there for the next quarterback. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Drew Locke in 2021, right? That they can go and, and heck, they might even be in a, in a situation to add a veteran, right? Into a pretty good offense. So I think that's, you know, with Drew Locke expecting it to be a big year this year. I mean, only about 20% of those round two guys ever, ever hit for a top 12 season. Is Drew Locke on the better side of that? Right. And, and I, I just know. thought, I, I just thought of, you know, you do that, those Olympic races where you, it's, you know, four, five, six laps or something. Yeah. And you get the, uh, the pace setter out there and he runs one lap and you know, he's not finishing that race. <laughs> I kind of view that as Drew Locke of sort of like the trajectory of the Broncos being a success, uh, over the next three to five years. And you just, he's the one that starts the race. You know, he played a few games last year. He's going to be that requisite placeholder this year, kind of get him through. And then, uh, you know, they're, they're going to bring in the real guy, you know, in the off season. And that, that's going to be the actual who finishes the race, you know, and he just kind of drops off to the side. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, critical year, but it just feels like I can feel the steam going hotter and hotter for a Drew Locke type, especially in redraft season. You know, people are going to start drafting him in the top, you know, 12 to 15 of just saying, this is the guy I'm shooting for upside, you know, and there's just a lot of low hanging fruit around him. Um, and I've mentioned a lot of the, you know, undervalued guys who are, I actually wrote down the circle of trust. You know, if you, once you've done it, you know, you can all of a sudden be in that circle of trust. Like Kirk, again, and these are like some of the most unsexy names around. I mean, if you start poking around or if you have these guys, 
you know, no one is looking around your Superflex Dynasty League saying, oh, I fear that guy. You know, if you have some combination of Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, even, I, and I know someone you've mentioned a lot is Cam Newton. You know, I have a question, you know, the big question is, if is he healthy? But you look at what he's done fantasy-wise. I mean, he has five top six seasons <laughs> in his career. I mean, he's been a monster. Now, obviously, you know, two of his poorest seasons have been the last two, but you wonder how much of that is is plainly durability and so he has the most question mark in terms of this coming season i mean he's not even a starter at present so he may be more of a 2021 play others i put in consideration uh jared goff is a big one for us absolutely a great one yeah yeah i mean because he's been top 12 twice he even has a top six season so Mm -hmm. he's right there Jameis winston is one of my favorites that i've been trying to get um just because of the upside of whether it's with the saints or not but 2021 plus of i mean the upside is mammoth as long as he controls some of that those downside downside plays that are just just game hemorrhaging. Um, and if that just goes down a little bit, then you know he could be one of the top fantasy quarterbacks in the whole NFL. Um, and Carson Wentz is another one. He's got a couple top seven finishes. That again, so all these guys. I mean, we mentioned about a third of the starters around the NFL that are undervalued. And there's just the. I think the the final point I would make is there's not a ton of reason in a startup draft, or you can arbitrage this. The biggest thing is mm-hmm. just arbitrage and moving from the hot guy that hasn't done it to the guy who has no sizzle and has done it. You can exploit that over and over and over again. Yeah, and especially where they're laying out in terms of cost, right? It's it's interesting because you get the guys up at the top sort of that we talked about, and then from basically you know six seven to basically quarterback twelve, you're getting not you're getting some of the guys that are unproven, and then sort of it comes back around where you're getting your Rogers, some of the guys you mentioned, Stafford, Cousins, Matt Ryan, that sort of tier in the teens, right? That's where it makes a ton of sense, and that's just an arbitrage opportunity. You're getting a round or two of discount. Uh, on some guys that are going, that are younger, that are unproven, right? It's, it's totally, and, and super flex, it's totally makes sense to just wait and, and just get the good profiles a couple rounds later as you build up some strength at some other positions. And I actually think that's a pretty contrarian strategy, right? In terms of the way that you and I might suggest or play super flex, it's not, I think a lot of people load up on it. I would rather be a little bit leaner, a little bit more selective in terms of who we're going to take because I think that's that's a safer that's a safer bet. You don't need to go as aggressive in roster five starting quarterbacks if you're going to do three to four that are uh, that are safer, better profiles. This is Chad Parsons and Jordan McNamara, episode five of the Football Guys Dynasty Show. And Jordan, we've talked about it. One of the themes, one section we've put into these shows so far has been looking at where you divert from the Football Guys staff with your dynasty rankings. And last week, we talked bullish. We talked about Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, where you are higher than the consensus in your wide receiver rankings. This uh, this week, let's bring the, the big bucket of ice water uh, because we're going to be talking about where you're an outlier on the low end. Um, so let's start with, with Chris Godwin. So he's going to be a very polarizing one coming off of a massive season. And again, saying that you're lower than consensus doesn't necessarily have to mean you hate the guy, um, but but paint your picture, create your case for why uh, you're just a little more bearish than the market right now on Chris Godwin. Yeah. It's a couple of the guys that we're going to talk about. I don't, I wouldn't say I hate either of them. I'm just, I'm a little bit skeptical. And when you're looking at guys that are in the top 20 of their position, I think if you, if you're skeptical on them, you have to be very careful 
Uh, and I think that Chris Godwin's a good example of, of the, some of the things that we've talked about. I mean, his, his stats last year, good, good season, top five finish, 121 targets. He scored 274.1 points. That's 2.3 yards per target. That is a historically just absolutely unrepeatable statistic uh, in terms of on a per target basis, your scoring efficiency. So what does that mean? It means that historically it's not predictive of what's going to happen next year. And you can expect a big time regression. That historic number is around 1.6, uh, 1.7. So I call it 1.65 is about what is about what you would expect in terms of historical uh, numbers for that. And if you sort of take him down to that, right, just take him down that, that, efficiency, that regression type efficiency on those targets, that'd be about 199 points last year on the 121 targets. That's wide receiver 25. Um, even if you say, hey, listen, I think he's a little bit more, he's a little bit better, which isn't really something that that has shown to be predictive of, of these points per target type stats. But even if you say, hey, listen, I'll give him 1.8, that's still only wide receiver 22. And if you say, hey, listen, I think he's much, much better. I don't, I'm not, he's not going to go all the way back. He's going to have two points per target, wide receiver 12. Right. So this isn't a, this is a, this is a volume problem, right? This is a volume problem with Chris Godwin. They're adding Grock. We don't necessarily know how this offense is going to mesh with a new quarterback. And I'm not, going to say that it was perfect with Jameis Winston, uh, but Jameis Winston has supported plenty of uh, fantasy success in his career. Given all of his, all of his problems, we don't know what that transition with, with Brady's going to be like. And, you know, he, so he has Gronk, he has, you know, we'll see what happens with Keyshawn Vaughn and that, that added, uh, the added maybe receiving element coming out of that backfield, but still has Mike Evans who, listen, I would take over Chris Godwin. Right, just in terms of what he's done to date, the track that he is on, and the I'm going to have to bet on basically the wide receiver two in an offense, right? Because that's what that's what Chris Godwin is in terms of in terms of usage, and that's just a, a scary proposition that early in a draft. So I'm I'm fading him, and I'm taking a little bit more what I would consider safer uh, profiles over him. Yeah, yes. A lot of the things is gonna that I would say is 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 in line with what you're saying, which is the cost. But you say if his if his targets are gonna be wide receiver two of the offense, and you've got Gronk coming in, you've got OJ Howard, you know, and we've seen you know Brady use two tight ends uh, and love tight ends uh, with his time in New England, and now you're saying that we don't know if this is gonna be. So I, I break this into buckets when I kind of looked at the relationship and probabilities of getting what type of wide receiver finish with what level of quarterback play for fantasy. So I put it into quadrants. So a top eight quarterback, I think Brady is going to be maybe in that zone, but maybe in the next one, which is nine to 16. So if you say that's not a lock, the average wide receiver two finish. So I think we're in alignment there that Evans is the number one, much safer floor and ceiling projection with his targets. That's much more insulated. Godwin, not so much. The, the average wide receiver two finish, even for a top eight quarterback, these are the elite guys, wide receiver 35 historically. So you're talking about a guy that uh, that has about a 15% chance to be at a fellow wide receiver one with you know the assumed top guy on their depth chart also finishing above them. And then you've got a 36% chance to be top 24. So again, these are not the odds you want with what you're paying right now. And yes, he's a young player. Yes, he's coming off of a top five season. But like you said, I mean, it was historically efficient that you can't predict that. I mean, 
for all of the, the, the missteps for Winston, for Ryan Fitzpatrick over the course of time, part of it is they did enough mistakes <laughs> that they actually put themselves into more of a firework showcase in the second half of games to play catch up for all of their mistakes and setting the team back. And Brady, you got to think is going to be a lot more responsible, a lot less turnovers, throwing the ball into the ground if necessary, punting the ball if necessary, that there's just not going to be enough like pure catch up mode type situations. So that's actually, I think, going to hurt the overall offense from a target perspective. And you need to hope for high efficiency. And I just if it's not there. So they may be a far improved team, but you actually see those two receivers take a step back. And I just think all the numbers kind of point to, even if Brady is the goods that if, if, if you get this wrong, if you have someone is takes a giant step back, whether it's Evans or Godwin. And I think the odds are a lot more Godwin. There is a ton of lost value over the next 12 months based on the bet that you're going to make this off season. Yeah. And what do we say? You don't want to lose Right, you, you you have to be a safe in terms of you don't want to miss early, right? And if you miss early in a startup draft, that that can really hurt you. And I'm not going to say that Chris Godwin's just going to flame out, but I do think that the profile's significantly more risky than you know some of the guys going in front of him, Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster. Right? It's it's tough to and listen, we're in a good situation in terms of wide receivers, right? We're in a good at least up at the top, they're, they're pretty good. They might be a little older than historically we would, we would love in terms of some of the, the, the top end guys, but there's plenty of other options that are wide receiver ones on their team that I don't have to sort of go down to the wide receiver two bucket and pull someone out of, uh, to, to sort of go ahead of Allen Robinson or Odell Beckham Jr. or Juju or DJ Moore, you know, on and on. Yep. Uh, that, that's a really good one. And, uh, again, never miss a moment of this football guys show as well as things like on the couch with Sigmund Bloom, uh, the IDP round table, uh, as well as the audible live show, which is a, a cornerstone weekly show. Football guys TV is there on YouTube. Also, you want to subscribe to the, uh, for the audio version of this show on all of your podcasting platforms, rate and review us as well as signing up for the football guys daily email update from Joe Bryant. You're going to get all of your news and instant analysis that you need signing up at footballguys.com slash free. So again, this time of year when again, soon things are going to start heating up and that's when you don't want to miss a thing. You don't want to have to check your phone five, six, seven times a day and you're going to get it all collated together. You're going to get that analysis. And again, you can go out to your dynasty leagues and have that action advice that you need as well as maybe sometimes you get a curious offer, you know, and you say, huh, you know, that's when you need to check the news. You know, oh, this seems too good to be true. Well, the player could have got arrested. The player could be mm-hmm. could be injured. Uh, there could have been a huge change, especially once we get into uh, practices and camp and preseason and all of the regular machinations um, of the hopeful 2020 season. Um, that is when, again, all this stuff habit now now and get that mail delivered to your inbox every single day. So Jordan, the other player we're going to discuss of your wide receiver rankings, and I think this one is an even easier sell. I mean, this is like the, <laughs> like someone comes into a used car lot, right? And they literally have money hanging out of their pockets or better yet, you know, they got, they got their credit report and they want financing, you know, and they're just walking. It's like, the, <laughs> and they know what they want. Like they walk into the car lot and they're like, this is what I want. I want that 2018, you know, Toyota, 
whatever. And, and they walk in there and, and it's the easiest sale that that, 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 uh, that car salesman has had in the last week. So Corlin Sutton, the platform is yours on why you are lower than consensus. Yeah, he 25% of the market share in the offense last year. So that's a pretty good number. You're looking top 10 in the NFL. Again, good, good season. Uh, 1,100 yards, uh, over 1,100 yards, six touchdowns, ninth highest target share in the league last year. What do they do in the offseason? Well, Jerry Judy in the first round, uh, they go out and spend money on Melvin Gordon. And, you know, I think the two of us can sort of might be a little bit lower in terms of what the market is in terms of Melvin Gordon's talent. Uh, but this is a, a proven three down running back who has receiving upside. It might not be the most effective and efficient, but he has proven in, in good passing offenses to be capable of, of, of uh, garnering pass targets. They take, uh, Hamler, uh, on day two, which listen, is he going to come in and, and be, you know, displace Sutton? No, but I think all of this points to and another year of, of Noah Fant. All of this points to a lot more competition and you're not just in a situation where you're just seeing 25% of the targets because you are, are the only show in town. So I think, I think that's a big thing. I think the other thing too is you have to consider depending on Drew Locke, right? And, and sort of how does that transition go? I think one big strategic thing from a, from a macro perspective that's important is there's so much uncertainty right now in terms of listen when the NFL season is going to start, but also when training camp is going to start. You know, there has been no OTAs. There's been no veteran mini camps. Heck, there's been no rookie mini camps, right? We don't know what the progression of guys like Drew Locke is going to be, right? We don't know what the, these guys coming from a rookie year into year two, all of that instruction that we've historically seen for guys to take a year two jump. I mean, is it effective via Zoom? I don't know, but that's something that we're going to find out and see. I, I just not taking a big time. Uh, I'm not, I'm not doing a ton of buying that in terms of those profiles. So I think all of that paints a scenario with, with Sutton. I wasn't a huge fan of him coming out of the draft either. I had some questions about his tape in terms of, you know, he was a good producer, but I wasn't sure he separated in the way that was necessary to be a wide receiver one. And, you know, you look at these guys that are superseded by draft pedigree early in their career, it's not necessarily a great sign. Uh, you know, someone, they, a team comes in, drafts a wide receiver in the, the year or two uh, after they've been drafted, a couple of years after they've been drafted. That That's not historically a great sign. And what you tend to see is if that player is bad, right, if you don't like the, the wide receiver that is drafted ahead of Cortland Sutton, so in this case, Jerry Judy, right, that's a good time to actually bet on. Cortland Sutton historically, but if you like Jerry Judy, which I think both of us do, we might not love him as the wide receiver one in this class, but I think we like his profile. This isn't a, this wasn't a reach. I think that's a, it's a concerning uh, part of the puzzle for, for Sutton. So I'm a little bit skeptical on, on him going forward. And again, like I said, there's, there's a lot of different options that you can go. And I think there's plenty of more safety in terms of all of the things I mentioned that you can find in the position before Sutton. Yeah. I remember, you know, we talked to, uh, Matt Williamson, who, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, in an interview who, was in the NFL making, making decisions, personnel, and, and had a, a very good pulse on what, you know, basically in the offseason, listen to what the teams are telling us. You know, they'll, 
they'll lie and misdirect you in interviews and have all the stock responses. But you know what? When they have to make, you know, make the money moves, which is yeah. free agent signings and especially draft capital, they're telling you exactly. So you could take this one way and say, we're going to do everything we can to surround Drew Locke and have zero excuses for our young quarterback not to take a massive step forward. Now, again, Massive step forward from what? He played five games. But look at this. You've got Noah Fant. First round tight ends don't miss. Jerry Judy, one of the most pro-ready guys, mid-first. Let's go get him. Uh, and then they take KJ Hamler, which, again, whether you like him or not, he went right around the same zone uh, of the second round as as uh, Cortland Sutton. And then what do they do? They also took a day two type guy in Albert Aquabunum, who's an athletic marvel and produced at a high level and had some durability issues. But again, he could be someone of note early on day three. All of these were added. All of these were added in the same class or the following class from Cortland Sutton. And Cortland Sutton is the exact type of guy, man, don't assume this progression forward. He's one of the classic cases. I mean, I was looking at some similar year one, year two starts, 30 guys, and only six of them ended up developing into a wide receiver one fantasy-wise. I don't like those odds, Jordan. Six of 30 is not something I want to bet any decent capital. You can get six for 30 from an incoming rookie. You can get six for 30, uh, you know, for, for far less cost than Cortland Sutton as an incumbent player entering year three. That what I would say is now you've got Noah Fant, who has the first round longer option of a contract. You've got Jerry Judy now locked in longer. KJ Hamler locked in longer. Cortland Sutton is going to be the one coming up in a couple seasons. And he very well could be changing teams and all of a sudden be viewed in that number two prism for the NFL. And again, nice second season, but be very careful not to project greatness. And I think this is one of the easier arguments situationally and all the things that the Broncos did of saying, this is not going to be, you know, Cortland Sutton rising from the later twenties of wide receiver ranks into the teens. Like that, that to me is one of the easiest calls into 2020. Yeah. And, and I think you put it precisely, which is look, look at what happened and then look what they did in reaction, right? The, the money talks, the, the free agent signings talk and the draft picks talk. And what did they do? They, they addressed it twice in the top in, in the first two days of the NFL draft, right? They addressed the wide receiver position twice after Cortland Sutton was in the top 10 in terms of target share last year. They threw everything at the offense. Let's right. do all this stuff. Let's right. bring in Melvin Gordon, which right. is going to be a shot in the arm. That's another aspect, you know, that, that the run game should be better after the Philip Lindsay experiment, you know, that died a, a swift death. But, uh, <laughs> but I will say it was, but I will say it's been a tough watch, you know, that last year we, we, you know, and we are, uh, we are hopeful for, for Royce Freeman to emerge somewhere else, probably. But again, Melvin Gordon, a significant addition into all those weapons as well. That's a hill we're going to die on with Royce Freeman. We'll be there. I, this is going to be Devontae Adams. It's either going to be a glorious <laughs> pat on the back in, in two to three years, or it's going to be, oh man, you know, we were just, we're on that hill. We died and we just rolled off the side. That's yeah. just, we're just another, uh, it's just another speed bump <laughs> in the, uh, elite metric prospect road. Uh, sometimes that you hit, uh, Royce Freeman. Um, this is Chad Parsons, Jordan McNamara, episode five of the football guys dynasty show. And as usual, let's finish talking some strategy. So putting these plans into action with some dynasty trades out there. So real trades, real leagues, real strategy. And this one was a pretty interesting one, which is why I picked it. And we're 
we're talking super flex again. That is the format that you're going to see more often than not going forward in dynasty leagues that are being formed and, uh, and created out there. Lamar Jackson. He is hot. He is hot. You got to take him top three, top four of, uh, startup drafts. And he was traded for 101 and 102. Those t- picks turned into Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards, Alaire Jordan. So that's a separate discussion. Please leave that out of this. But look at the raw value of Lamar Jackson for two top picks in this year's class. Um, you know, I, I think I, just if you're going to look at in terms of value, just from a from a draft perspective, and you were to say, you know, where where are 101 and 102 going in terms of startup picks? You're looking, you know. In the, in the second round of startup drafts, I would say. So you're trading a top four pick and a super flex draft for two, we'll call it late, mid to late second round picks in terms of where those picks are sliding in. Um, I don't think that that's the optimized order of what they're going right now. And I don't think these two players are the optimized players. Um, I, I think in terms of, I would probably not do this deal because I'm a, again, I am a little bit more skeptical on Lamar Jackson. I, I think you're going to a, a lot of unknown here, and I think you can extract this value in a different way. So if I was going to trade Lamar Jackson, I'd do it in a different way. Um, but I, I wouldn't do it in this way of getting um, of Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Those wouldn't be my preferred options. I would I would have gone. You know, if you wanted to say, hey, listen, I did this for Jonathan Taylor. You know, I had some depth at quarterback with Lamar Jackson. I went Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins or Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers. We could maybe be a little bit closer, but in terms of these particular players, I would take the Jackson side. Yeah, I'm fine with the value. Um, I do think it would be really easy in a trade like this, though, to get a a very solid quarterback coming back plus things like this. You know, 101 yes. plus like Matt Stafford plus another player really helps your team. Um, you know, and, and again, getting an undervalued quarterback that, you know, you think is going to revert that has the profile to get back to a top 10, top 12 season this year. And maybe they weren't there the year before. I, I think that is a very easy transition to quote unquote fix the other team's quarterback with an elite player coming off of, of the season that Lamar Jackson did. So, so that's the type of construction. I think the value though is fine. You know, a, an earlier first for two seconds. I think that's a trade that is not always easily accessible in a startup draft setting. Um, so I think the value is fine. Um, and again, I'll just reiterate what you said about just, you know, the, the optimization of, of said picks because Joe Burrow, I mean, we just talked about anointing a quarterback. And, you know, if you're, if you're assuming Joe Burrow within the first two years of his career puts up a top 12 season, uh, you know, or anything in his career approaching what Lamar Jackson just did, I mean, you are on the short side of the probability curve and, and that is a dangerous road to live because these are the types of trades. Again, if you, if you sell a hot player and a top player the wrong way, you look back and you say, I, I sold for magic beans and I had this, you know, I had this. I got it right. Whether it was the startup draft or rookie draft, whenever you got them and now you're holding the cards. So make someone come and pay for it. So make that top piece really valuable um, and make them come to you is what I would say. Uh, next deal, uh, stock 12 team PPR. Um, and this is Alvin Kamara. So we've got another high end asset and they, they traded for DeAndre Swift and Keyshawn Vaughn. 
Um, so this is the equivalency of, let's say, a, you know, 105 ish, 104, 105 of, of that start one format in a rookie draft. And Keyshawn Vaughn, as much as it pains me to say, is, is going in the top eight to 10 an awful lot. 107. So what do you, 107. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so that would be over one of the top wide receivers as well. Cause you can't wait. He's the next one. He's the next running back, Jordan. So you got to go after him. You got to lock him up. Um, so, so what do you think about Kamara into, uh, two players with the key one being DeAndre Swift? Let me just change the names for a second. What would you think if I told you it was Cam Akers and Jalen Rager? Right, you well, would now, I'm listening. Yeah. See, and I, I think that's the key in terms of these, these types of trades. It's okay to say, listen, I'm going to trade Alvin Kamara because I'm a rebuilding team or, or, you know, listen, he's, um, you know, he's hitting his mid, mid twenties. And I, I think there's reason to be skeptical that, that the age drop off is as early as it is. But listen, if, if you are sort of, listen, I, I want to get out. I want to be safe, whatever. That's, I can, I can agree with your, your strategy. The question is the implementation of it, right? And to say, I want to sell Kamara. Okay. But you want to get fair price for him. You want to get the right price for him. You want to get the right players for him. So if I was doing this, uh, listen, I liked Swift, but I do think there's questions about, you know, is he of all of the call it the top five running backs in this class? I think he's the one that's the, there's the most question about how he's going to translate in terms of a three down role because there's carry on Johnson there and we like carry on Johnson and we've seen post draft his price fall, right? Which is an indication that I think the market is, is a little tepid on him too. So, um, and I'm not a huge fan of, of Keyshawn Vaughn in terms of, you know, you look at round three running backs that go in, in the top, in the first round of the uh, rookie drafts, right? That's historically not a great bet. And we've seen what happens, right? Draft classes prop players up based on situation. Hello, David Montgomery. We're talking to you a year later. Look at how many, I mean, he was what? 102, 103, 104 last year. Now he's, when you stack him up against the rookies, he's like 112 or 201, right? I mean, that's how much, that's what happens when you do these things. I just think expecting a huge year out of Keyshawn Vaughn out the gate is, is pretty skeptical. I would hold Kamara here, but I wouldn't, that's not to say that I don't think you could do a trade like this to make sense. It just has to be the right players that make sense. Yeah. I actually made a pretty bold and big Alvin Kamara trade, uh, as I took over an orphan, uh, a week, week and a half ago. So this was post draft, um, and one that I kind of got squeezed. I wanted, I think I got Jonathan Taylor at the top of the board, but, um, I wanted to get younger. I wanted to, again, make this team my own. And I think that's an important thing. We can talk about orphans and sort of rebuilding teams. And there's a lot of concepts that go into that, but essentially uh, the big deal, you can refine it down where I traded and it's almost in lockstep with what you just said, which is Alvin Kamara for Cam Akers and JK Dobbins as how yeah. I viewed part of the trade. So again, I was getting my preferred two options of those other four past Jonathan Taylor. So I was viewing it as, you know, resetting from a 24 year old running back that may be a little bit tied to an older quarterback and things may be changing over the next couple of years. Maybe contract wise, things may be changing as well, but locking into two 21 year olds with blue chip profiles that you could easily see one of them turning into a Kamara type, but I get two bets to do that. That was the, that's the other thing. So I was getting the exact two players I wanted. Now, Again, maybe Keyshawn Vaughn and maybe DeAndre Swift are those two players for this rebuilding team. But the other part is you got a 24 year old Alvin Kamara who's put up running back one seasons. You don't, and we're in, it's May. 
you don't have to run for the exits, right? He's getting one day older, just like every other NFL player. Um, so he's, it's not like he's, he's rotting off of your roster. You know, I think a lot of people run for exits for, for, for middle. I mean, we can, it's a whole other conversation, Jordan, but I don't know if you've seen like what's been happening to Ezekiel Elliott this offseason. Very strange. Like there's certain players and he's, he's 25. He's on like one of the best <laughs> tracks we've ever seen. And he was a top five NFL draft pick and lauded as like one of the best running back prospects, you know, of a, of a two, three, four year cycle. And, and yet it's like, what has he done wrong? He's on a huge offense that's expected to be even better. Yeah. Gotta go sell that guy. I mean, he's got to be one of the, the, one of the shortlist, right? For to, to be running back one overall. Right. I mean, for this year. So I just think that, um, that, that these, you know, the 24, 25 year old or even the people that are selling for absolute fractions of Le'Veon Bell right now, it's like, do you know? I mean, the disrespect you're saying to Le'Veon Bell of what he's done over his career and just sloughing that aside, like it's easy to find. That would be the other thing. If anyone creates Jordan and I, we get geeky, you know, talking Excel and, you know, but we build databases where we don't leave, any, leave anything out. We see all the players and all the production and you start to really appreciate some of these players that you look, you go, man, what they've done over a five, six, seven, eight year sample size. Good luck. Good luck looking at this list of 50 other guys and saying which one is going to be maybe the one to do that. Good luck. Cause that, that is a tall order. Um, all right. Let's do one more Jordan here. So another In the Dallas thing- offense. Exactly. Significant <laughs> rebuilding situation. And this is a team that, uh, and, and the win now team got Kenyon Drake. So the team that sold Kenyon Drake got Josh Kelly. Uh, I think it's Quintez Cephas and a 2021 second and third. That second should be pretty early. Um, so again, it's, it's pieces, Jordan. So the significant pieces are Joshua Kelly, who's a kind of a late second, let's call him, uh, maybe early third of, of a, of a one, quarterback league that early second next year and then a, a third that should be mid to late next year the contending team gets drake is this a win-win trade in terms of the construction or should the drake seller have received more i would have if i was a drake seller i would want more i think i think this is a classic thing that i've, I've noticed maybe it's more this offseason and i don't know if it's because people have a lot more time on their hands this offseason uh, because of everything that's going on but i have noticed that people are rushing to turn uh, players, you know, con- what are contending players, um, and trade them away in, in May. There's no, you don't, there's no real inherent risk in holding Kenyon Drake right now, right? If, if as August rolls around, right, there's, there's, or September rolls around, or he gets playing, right, there's always the risk that he might get hurt then. But I think rushing right now to sell a player like Kenyon Drake, listen, he's, he's, should be their guy this year. There's no one coming to take his job immediately. Um, same thing with guys like Julio Jones, right? People are sort of bailing on, on players like Julio Jones at this point. I, I mean, the, the easiest time to ever sell someone for a, a contending team to a contending team is in season because people get this addiction to the immediate uh, production, right? And you just feed that, right? And you can sell, you can sell them production in terms of sell them instant gratification and take all of their, all of their future assets. And that's assuming you're still a, uh, you're still not in it, right? That's assuming that you're not 
contending, right? That's in, and there's plenty of ways like with Kamara, right? With Kenyon Drake, there's scenarios where they can win you a game, a game and a half and sort of make you a lot better than you might appreciate. So I wouldn't take, you know, if I, I if I was, if, if Drake was a dollar, I kind of see this as, I'm not sure it's four quarters, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that type of deal anyways for a guy like Kenyon Drake. Listen, just, just take, you know, if, if this is the best you're going to get, hold him and sell him later or use him in another piece to get something better, you know, use him in something to get a depressed guy like, um, Juju Smith-Schuster or Odell Beckham Jr., right? If you're, if you're, if you're rebuilding, use Drake to get a, a higher end piece that is for some reason depressed in, in value rather than taking three or four guys that, that might not add up to uh, all of Kenyon Drake. Yeah. You want to be on the other side. You know, if it's four quarters for a dollar, you want to be on the giving the quarters. You want to put the quarters in the machine, get the dollar back. Um, I traded Kenyon Drake on a couple of orphans. I took over this off season. And again, these are the types of construction that I would, that I would advise because if you are use him as a package up piece to get something you view better, um, is the general approach or get multiple pieces that you can win the deal with. So one of them I did was Kenyon Drake in 201 for 105. And that was trading up specifically to get Cam Akers. Um, so yeah. he got there at 105. So again, I prefer him strongly over Kenyon Drake in the big picture. So I got a cornerstone guy in my view and I gave up two guys that I don't view that way. Then the other one was Kenyon Drake for Ronald Jones and a 21 first. So I view it as, Hey, what if I get it right? I, there's a possibility Ronald Jones is actually better than Kenyon Drake this year. That is within the range of outcomes. And I, I, I my, my term for this, and I'll probably use it in the future as well, is a two-way go because I have two mm-hmm. ways to win this deal. They basically need Kenyon Drake to be healthy, good, and productive and probably hold a job for more than this year. I, if, if Kenyon Drake goes down, I win because, or if Ronald Jones is productive, I win. And then guess what? Even if I get it wrong, Kenyon Drake is pretty good this year. Ronald Jones seeds uh, the, the starting job or just isn't that good. I still have the 21 first to rectify and get the trade right to make it even or even win it in the future next year. Reset, get the pick and, and move on with the secondary piece. So those are the ways I would recommend it. And I think one of the themes, uh, and actually this is, you know, talking about closing up the show of FFPC, um, actually Jordan and I, we're going to be, we're going to be talking through yes. some of our strategy. We're going to be doing a startup draft together and they are in close connection with football guys. Love what FFPC is doing. There's a football guys player championship. You get a free $35 team when you register. Drafts are going on now. And as I mentioned, Jordan and I will be doing a draft together in the near future. So that's pretty exciting. You can go to myffpc.com slash football guys. One more time about the football guys daily email update and that's footballguys.com slash free and subscribe rate and review this uh youtube channel which is football guys tv as well as all the podcasts that are coming out of football guys right now including this dynasty podcast um so in this show again we have discussed um the the players that are overvalued uh that that both of us are, are in lockstep about chris godwin Cortland Sutton, we talked massively about the quarterback position, specifically Superflex, high stakes, and, and the mistakes, the common missteps that, that folks, dynasty, dynasty GMs make. And then we also talked about how to value those secondary quarterbacks, those veterans who have been there and done that. And again, I think one of the, the themes of the trades this week is you got the best player in the deal, 
make sure you leverage that as a seller. And Jordan mentioned, I think one of the best takeaways, which is don't be too quick this time of year, especially to just bail on players. Not a lot's changing. You can typically get to the preseason, get to the season, even see how things are going. Feel the room, feel, you know, how does the first month go to you? And then you can probably still have options if you're looking to sell a productive with a job, running back, wide receiver, et cetera, to move on to other things if the season isn't going your way. Uh, I'm Chad Parsons. He is Jordan McNamara. And until next time, good luck in your dynasty leagues. Son of a bitch, 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 didn't you?